scripture reading today is from Colossians 1:24 through 2:5. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For, the, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, thank you, Emma, for reading that passage for us this morning so beautifully. What a rich, rich passage. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge something, um, because it's something that I feel in myself, but it's also something, just as I have little conversations with you all, um, feels like the season that we're in, and that is that uh, my sense is that we're all really busy right now, um, that there is a lot going on. Uh, that your calendars are full. I've had seven conversations this morning that have gotten quickly to just how much is going on. Um, I want to remind you that this is the way life goes sometimes, right? We have seasons that are busy and we have seasons where we're slammed and it's okay. Uh, It's okay to feel that. Uh, The Lord is kind. One of the reasons we have parties and celebrations is a way of, of kind of carving out a moment to just relax and to enjoy the presence of one another. As you're going through your weeks, as you're going through your busy schedules, um, as your pastor, here's how I want to encourage you. I don't want to say you need to be less busy because what are you going to do? Like, this is the way our culture works. I want to tell you that the Lord loves you, um, that the Lord is kind, uh, that he gives you what you need for what you're going through. I think that the call that we hear sometimes, um, you know, the, the, in, our, in our culture to, to, to find balance in life and to have, you know, pursue balance above all things, I just think, I don't think that life affords us that luxury. And I do think it's a luxury to say, I want to live a life that's balanced. Sometimes you're going to have all the time in the world to just do whatever you want. I have two friends right now who are between jobs and have a full month of nothing to do. Ugh. Mad at them. I won't talk to them until they're busy. <laughs> but for others of us, we go through seasons of life where sometimes it's just busy, right? And, and this part of a semester, it's just busy. It's busy. And you'll get through things, and we'll get to the other side of things, and we'll be present in those things that are happening. But just know that your life amounts to more than just the things on your calendar, 
that you're dear to the heart of God and he loves you. And so if that's encouraging to you, I hope it is. Um, that, that, uh, and we're going to party uh, later today. So, Okay, this passage. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler in the Gospels. He's this, he's this person who comes up to Jesus and he has this question. And he's everything that our culture prizes. He is wealthy. He's young. He's powerful. And then as you get into more of like how he seems to run his life, even that is admirable. He seems to care about spiritual things. He keeps the law to the best of his ability. And he asks Jesus this question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is a fascinating question on its surface. Because it's odd to ask, what do do I need to do to inherit something? Most of the time we inherit not because of something we've done, but because of who we are. Who we are in relation to somebody else who has an inheritance to give. What must I do? And what I love about this encounter with Jesus is Jesus, this is one of those places where the the text says Jesus looked at him and loved him when he asked this question. Because here you have a guy, he's done it all right. He's a success. Um, And he has this nagging question, though. And the question is, okay, I've done everything right. I've succeeded. I've succeeded economically, socially, morally, even religiously. Jesus, I've heard you're wise. And look, I'm even seeking wisdom. My question is this, when, when all of this ends, is there something that I'm missing? Is there, is there something I'm missing? Have you ever invested yourself in something that you were just so sure would give you peace? And it all worked out, and you came up empty. This man is coming up empty. Tim Keller writes this. He says, of course he was missing something. Because anyone who counts on what they are doing to get eternal life will find that in spite of everything they've accomplished, there is an emptiness, an insecurity, a doubt. Something is bound to be missing. How can anyone ever know whether they're good enough? So where is this for you in your life? Where are you doing your best and still feel like you're coming up empty? You followed the rules. Maybe you went through a lawless phase in your life. And now you're just trying really hard to be good. And it's like there's some standard, that there's some target, there's some prize out there that you're aiming at. That you really believe, you suspect, will will satisfy you. It will satisfy your soul But for the life of you, you just can't put your finger on what it is. I think one of the things that's so um, engaging for me about the story of the rich young ruler is the young part. Is that he's done it all right, and he's succeeded, and he's landed on his feet, and he has this feeling of emptiness, and he's looking ahead and he's saying, it's not just that I've succeeded, 
It's that I feel like I wonder if something's missing and I have a lot of my life left to go. That's, that's a troubling feeling, to feel like I've, I've nailed it and I've probably got 50 years left and, and I'm still empty. I want to walk through the heart of what Paul is saying in this passage to the church today because this is what he's talking about. He's talking about the solution to the emptiness that we feel. And he uses even this kind of language of emptiness and lack and filling up. In verse 24, he says this. He says, in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking. What is lacking where? Oh, in Christ's affliction for the sake of the church. Paul just said he's doing something. He's filling up in his flesh something that is lacking in Christ's affliction. What could he possibly mean by that? Is Paul saying that there was something insufficient about the work of Christ? He can't be saying that. And the reason he can't be saying that is because of the passage that we just read last week and talked about. This whole letter is all about the sufficiency of Christ, the extreme sufficiency, the perfect sufficiency of Christ to redeem, to restore, to hold everything together. So that can't be what he's talking about. He's not saying that Christ's sacrifice was in any way insufficient. Even Hebrews talks about this. Hebrews stresses the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice by saying it this way. For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. There's nothing lacking in the sacrifice of Christ to atone for his people. But what, is, what Paul is talking about, the thing that was lacking that's in his flesh now, is Jesus said, I'm going to suffer, and if you follow after me, you're going to suffer too. And that's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the suffering that Jesus said would come for all those who would serve and follow him, and that that suffering exists to remind us that we're not of this world. Jesus said, if you follow after me, people will hate you because of that. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, right? For Paul, he's saying, the suffering that I endure because of my affection for Christ is an honor for me. It's an honor because it's evidence that I don't belong here in this world in the way that it is. He's acknowledging, I don't, I don't fit. Christians don't fit in, in, in the world as it is with its brokenness. And so any suffering and struggle that we walk through is part of what Jesus would said would be part of our experience, even as he suffered, though his suffering was enough to atone for us perfectly. And Paul says, the reason that I'm going through this is because I have a very specific reason for living. He says it in verses 25 to 27. He says, I became a minister of the church by the stewardship of God for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden for ages but now revealed to the saints. What Paul is doing here is he's acknowledging his own calling as one who is appointed by God to make the word of God known when it was once veiled in mystery. 
And he uses some, some wordplay here in the original language. When he uses the word lacking, the idea is this idea of something that is emptied out. And he's saying that it is an honor. And then, and then when, he says, and when he says he's making God's word fully known, it conveys this idea of something being filled up. And so he has this idea of he's saying it's his honor, it's his honor, his privilege to be emptied out in order to fill up those who are coming up empty. That's pretty cool. Wordplay. But it's a beautiful image. It's poetic, right? He's saying it's my honor to be emptied out in order to fill up those who feel empty. And then he speaks of the gospel as a mystery, but he says it's a mystery that was once concealed but now is revealed in Christ. In other words, before the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel was like, imagine it was like a, um, a jigsaw puzzle where, where all the pieces are kind of spread out throughout the Old Testament on the table, but it's not assembled yet. And some of the key pieces aren't there yet. And so it's there, but it's not assembled in such a way that anyone in the Old Testament could really see the full picture. But then through Christ's life and his death and then his victory over the grave, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, that's the picture. The whole Old Testament picture is assembled now. It's what Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets had all been pointing to all along. And now the church receives him. The mystery of how God would redeem and atone has been made clear in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and Paul's life exists to proclaim the clarity of the assembling of this puzzle that was once veiled in mystery but now can be seen. The presence and the clarity of, our, of Christ is now ours. It's ours to know, it's ours to rest in, for Jew and Gentile alike. The puzzle is complete. Jesus is the one. There's the answer. Jesus is the one who fills our emptiness. And then in verses 28 and 29, he says, This is the Christ we proclaim, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might all be mature in him. Paul is saying, listen, the emptiness you feel, the struggle you feel, when you feel adrift because your calendar is so full that you can't get a thought in edgewise, that you feel like the next seven weeks of your life are already spoken for, that feeling of I'm just kind of responding to things that are happening. I'm not even guiding the ship anymore. What he's saying here is understand, understand that Christ is Lord over every moment of your life. And the call in this passage is to say, so it's really important for you not just to know about Christ. It's really important for you not just to know of Christ. It's important for you to understand why Christ came and to know him. Not just to know about him, but to know him. To bow in reverence at the power and the reach of his grace. It's why two of our big values at Christ Prez Cool Springs is being with the church every Sunday and spending time with Jesus every day, right? Is because we don't want to just know about Jesus. We don't want to have kind of passed an introductory class to Christianity and then we just have some sort of vague notion of what we learned back then, but we don't really spend any time with him anymore. Because Paul is saying, 
Life runs at a crazy pace. We suffer here. And you're going to wonder which way is up. And you're going to struggle to fill the emptiness. And you're going to wonder how you can do it. And the only way that that can happen is in a relationship with Jesus. And nobody knew this better than Paul. I mean, when you think about Paul prior to his conversion, he hated the church so much that he obtained legal authority to destroy it. We have a Caravaggio on the back wall that captures this very moment. It's not the original, but we have a copy. <laughs> Sorry, guys, that is such a dad joke, and I make it like you've, I've made that joke five times from this pulpit, and you all laugh. And it just encourages me. And I'm going to do it again. And you're going to laugh. And it's going to be meta because this moment is what we're going to be laughing about. Moving on. Jesus converted Paul. He converted Paul when he was in the process of trying to end the spread of the gospel. And in a moment, Paul was transformed. And Jesus was the one who did it. And now Paul is saying, now I exist. I, my whole life is this labor to proclaim the gospel that I once sought to destroy. And the energy that he relies on for that work comes from Christ himself, the one that he opposed. Then we move into chapter 2, where he shifts from kind of this lofty, Christ-exalting language of the beauty and the mystery of the gospel into his specific ministry to the church in Colossae. And I love what Paul says in these opening verses because Paul is a person who can come across sometimes, I don't know if self-congratulatory is the right word, but it's close. Because here in the opening verses of chapter 2, what he's basically saying is, I want you to understand that I've been working hard for you. I've been working really hard for you so that you would hear the gospel and so that you would mature in Christ. It's one of those places in scripture where we're reminded that the work of gospel ministry is not easy work. It's not an easy thing. It's, it's a fight for people's hearts. It's a walk through people's pain. Gospel ministry defies efficiency. It's proclaiming the most important message that anyone could ever hear and doing it over and over and over again and to have it often met with silent disinterest. But consider, consider the scope of what Paul is fighting for here. It's that the church would be encouraged, that their hearts would be knit together, and that they would be people who reach all the riches. I'm reading from the passage here. Reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now let's break that down. I want to walk through that, what was just said there. This is verses... Um, these are verses that we split them on the slide, but um, Ark, do you think we can pull up the slide that has verses 2, two chapter 2? Two. I think it's 2 from the end. Let's see. Yeah, there we are. Okay. 
So you see the bottom three lines. He says he wants to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Let's break it down. First, the gospel offers riches. Mm, what riches? Well, the riches of the full assurance of understanding the knowledge of God's mystery. The gospel offers the riches of understanding what God's mystery is, like having the puzzle solved. Okay, well, what mystery is that exactly? Let's go to the next slide. Christ. Christ is the mystery. N.T. Wright says this. He says, God's secret plan is not a timetable of events. It's a person. His secret plan is a person. Well, what's so important about Christ? The text continues here. Well, all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. All treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. Everything that you need for life is found in him. Everything that you need. Without him, you're going to lack wisdom needed to truly flourish. But then he ends with verse 4 by saying, I'm telling you this, and I'm telling you this as plainly as I can, so that you won't be swayed when somebody comes along with a different story about where to find redemption, a different story about how to fill that emptiness. So let's go back to the rich young ruler as a way of closing. When he asks Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? He is in a way saying that he does believe. He believes there's a way to flourish. That I, there's a way that in my life I should flourish. But he's recognizing his own emptiness in the pursuit of that. At least to a degree he's recognizing it. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, let me tell you what you lack. Give everything you've got away. All of it. Just sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And then trust that your treasure will be in heaven. And then come follow me. And hearing this, the rich young ruler walks away sad. This is one of my favorite moments in the gospel. Because we don't know what happens next with the rich young ruler. Because if you've walked with the Lord or if you've wrestled with spiritual things, all of us have had the experience of coming face to face with some immovable truth that we don't want to be the case. And we need to step away from it because we're like, I just can't go there right now. And yet it can get in your soul and it can bug you and it can chase you down like the hound of heaven. Will we see the rich young ruler in glory? I mean, he had a conversation with Jesus where he asked very clearly, what do I need to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus told him very clearly, only me. And his initial response to that was, that's too expensive. It's going to cost me too much. And so he walks away sad. But what happened? I don't know. I don't know. But I don't think that was the end. Anyway, why does he walk away sad? He walks away sad because he's acquired a lot of things. He's worked really hard on his collection. And he's relied on his things 
to fill his emptiness. And to a degree, it kind of has. And Jesus is saying, abandon it. Just walk away from it. What was Jesus after with this rich young man? Because this is not a teaching where Jesus is saying to anyone who wants to follow him, sell everything you have. He's saying it to this guy specifically. And why is he saying it to this guy specifically? Because it's the one thing he can't let go of. Jesus is getting to his heart through his idol. He wants to show him, look, you've put your faith in your own ability to fill the emptiness in your soul. I want to make an observation about Nashville, about, the Nashville, about where, where we live, Nashville, Franklin, Williamson County. This is a high-achieving place to live. It's expensive, but it's a high-achieving place to live. People have a lot of hustle. People have side gigs on top of side gigs. We have people go to Vanderbilt and graduate. I met a guy here in this city who invented a surgical robot that operates on the brain by going up the nose. That's Nashville. That's what we have here in Nashville. Nose robot guys, right? So we're not the coal mining town where people are breaking their backs. Now, we have this, but where people are breaking their backs in minimum wage jobs and wondering how they're going to put things together. This is a town where there's just opulence and there's wealth and there's resources and people achieve and they success and they have success and we climb and we climb and we climb. And it's its own kind of poverty, isn't it? It's its own kind of poverty. Because if what we're doing is we're looking at it and saying, give me that sense of satisfaction, it will no more give us that sense of satisfaction than anything else we would look to outside of Christ. It reminds me of an interview where Jim Carrey was asked when he was at the peak of his stardom. Somebody said, what would you say to young actors and comics who are trying to make their way to the top? And he said, I would tell them that there's nothing up here. So often we try to find a strategy for peace, something that fills us up, something to fill the empty. And peace isn't found in strategy. Jesus told the rich young ruler to follow him knowing that he couldn't. If he tried to bring along all the things that he had been looking to for peace. But what Jesus was saying is, I want you to recognize your emptiness fully even though it meant for the rich young ruler that his emptiness was great wealth. Where are you wrestling with this right now? And how? Where are you coming up empty? Where is this passage fighting to fill up what is empty in you? And I'm not talking about some of us. I'm talking about all of us. If you go to Jesus and say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, here's the one thing you need to let go of. What is it? Think about that this week. What is the thing that he would say, you need to let go of this? Because you're looking to it to do what it can't do and what only I can do. 
And you've got to lay that down. It's expensive. May the Lord grant us the grace to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all things, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And may that be enough for us. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for letters like Colossians that take time to unpack theological truths, to give us because, therefore, to give us if-thens, to give us an understanding of how things hold together. Um, Father, would you give us, would you, would you make us into people who have an ever-deepening patience in seeking to understand how things hold together, how doctrine holds together? Because what you're giving us in a letter like this is you're giving us a picture of who you are and how we are to relate to you in truth. Give us a desire for knowledge and understanding. And Lord, would you pry our grip from the things that we look to and cling to for life? And would you give us the faith and the confidence in your love to rest in knowing that everything that we need for life and godliness is given to us in your finished work on our behalf. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.